Good morning, everyone. It's so great to be back. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation, and I just want to say how much I appreciate your pastors and their, their friendship. I'm looking forward to talking tomorrow to the other pastors on pastoral friendship, but the irony is not lost on me that I'm grateful for the friendship of these men that serve this church and are your pastors. So thank, thank God for them and the opportunity to, to be here today and then to, to continue on tomorrow. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12. As you're turning, I'd like to share with you that a number of years ago now, I had a good friend of mine who lived out of town at the time, who runs many marathons, and he calls me up a few months before and he says, hey, I'm coming up to run the mini during the derby, and you're running it with me, he says. He says, I'll pay for it all, we'll come up, we'll have a great time together, and we'll run the race. You need to train for it, but I'll take care of all the expenses and everything. And he followed it with this, it'll be fun. Sure. I was an athlete growing up through high school and college, but I certainly was not running many marathons uh, in my 40s. And, but I agreed because, you know, like most of us get challenged by something like that with a, by a man 10 years older than you, you kind of have to do it. So I trained and got ready and came the day of the race. And we got up early and went and ran, started the race. And it started off well. We're running together. I had trained well, I felt, as ready as I was going to get anyways to run a race that long, 13 point, what is it, 13 something miles uh, for a mini marathon. We're running, we're strong, we're doing well, the first half of it, but something happened like halfway through that my body said, why are you still running? (laughs) And it got really hard, and I can remember times wondering, am I even going to finish this race? And I have to say how how sensual it was that I actually had somebody there with me. I probably would have stopped if I had not my friend there to help me, encourage me, to, to continue to push me. And it was rough, those la- that last half of the race, but we, we finished the race together. And I have, I'll tell you that I have no idea what my time was, and you know why? I didn't care what my time was. People told me, you need to know what your time is. Nope, I didn't give a rip. I just wanted to finish and not die. And I did, so accomplished my goal. Now, I want you to know, though I'm grateful I accomplished that, I, and, and I can say that I did, I definitely think 13 miles is still best traveled in a car. So. <laughs> but whether you run many marathons, or whether you only run if you know, somebody's chasing you, we, we have to understand the dynamics of a race, because the New Testament writers in several different places talk about the Christian life as a race that we run. It has a beginning, it has an end, and it has that part in the middle that gets really rough sometimes. And that's what we see here in the book of Hebrews when we look at chapter 12, which is what we're going to read in a moment. A little bit of background as I know we're, we're jumping into the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has two main purposes. The first is to exalt the supremacy and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's one of the main goals of the writer of Hebrews. It's a glorious book if you're unfamiliar with it. The writer just talks about how much Jesus is better than this, better than that, because he's writing to a group of discouraged and weary Christians who are Hebrews, and they're tempted to go back to their old ways of Judaism because there was difficulty, there was persecution for following Jesus, and they were starting to question, is this even worth it? 
So they were tempted to go back. And, and the writer of Hebrews comes along and, and tries to urge them to persevere in their faith because of, of the glory and the greatness of Jesus, better than anything they could ever go back to. But there's a second purpose the writer has, and that is to take these, this truth about Jesus and to help these weary and discouraged Christians to hold fast, to not waver, to continue to persevere in their, their walk with Jesus, in this race that it, the writer describes it as in just a moment. So we're going to read verses, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 in a minute, but one more point of, of, of context. The end, chapter 11, many of you will know, is the great faith chapter, where the writer talks about all these Old Testament saints and how they persevered in their faith. And he uses that as the springboard into 12 to say, because of all of these in the past... Remember, they were Hebrews. All of these, these Jews and all those that are mixed in the, the Old Testament history, they all persevered in their faith, and they didn't even know what was coming. And you now know Jesus, and here's the call for you to persevere. And so that's where we come as we come to chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, if you'll follow along with me or listen as I read. Chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment and pray and ask God's help. Lord, would you come in the power of your Spirit in this moment and open our, our eyes to see and understand your word and Lord, may you use it ultimately to show us Christ and to encourage us to press on, to persevere in our faith. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The first question to ask about this passage is to look at that very first word in verse 1. Look at that with me. It says, therefore. Does anybody know the question you're supposed to ask when you see a therefore in the passage? Very good. This is a well-taught congregation. What's the therefore? Therefore. The therefore is pointing back to what was just described. And if you go back at Hebrews 11, I would encourage you to read that this afternoon. You will see this hall of fame, really, of faith and how they persevered, especially at the end. They persevered through immense suffering and difficulty. But they pressed on and finished well. So the therefore, because of all these in the past, all these heroes of yours in Judaism, because they persevered looking towards Christ. So therefore, since we are, verse 1, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So it's pointing back, because of them, even more so for you, the reason for you to persevere in your faith. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you three ways that this passage helps us persevere in our faith in Jesus when we grow weary. Three ways to persevere in your faith in Jesus when you grow weary. And before we 
dig into this passage, I just want to ask you to consider for a moment, are, are you weary today? Has life drained you so much? Has your circumstances caused so much struggle and difficulty? And you find yourself weary in your faith. If that's you this morning, I want you to know, God welcomes a weary faith. In fact, He gives us this word in particular for those who are growing weary. Wondering if I can go another day. And if that's you, that this passage specifically is to feed you today. So may you be open to what God has for you in your weariness, in your faith, that we might thrive in our perseverance to follow Jesus. So three ways we persevere. Number one, let us lay aside stumbling blocks. Let us lay aside stumbling blocks. There was a show on television many years ago called American Gladiators. Raise your hand if you ever saw American Gladiators. Okay, wonderful, and nobody under the age of 30. Thank you. That, that's what I suspected. I haven't seen it in a long time on TV either. American Gladiators. This is the show where there was a, a race. Two contestants trying to run this, this race through this maze and get to the end and win the race. But it's, it's different than like a race you would find on a track. It wasn't just based on speed. You actually had obstacles and blocks and things, and then giant gladiators to try to stop you from spraying water hoses on you to all kinds of other things to keep you from being able to press forward. So it's not about just speed, which is what we often think is how we're going to run a race well. You actually have to persevere through the stumbling block, fight the hindrances and push forward to be able to win. This is the kind of race that's being described here in chapter 12, verse 1. The Christian life is a race, and it's full of stumbling blocks and obstacles and hindrances and difficulties who want to push us back in the race. The enemy would want nothing more than to just push us back into race and to make us stumble in this race. But there are two main stumbling blocks the writer highlights here to help us to know what we are to push through. The first one is, he says, every weight. Look at that in verse 1. Let us also lay aside every weight. Now some might say that this is just another way to talk about sin, but sin is actually mentioned next, right after that. So this may be something, this must be something other than, than that. It seems to point to the things in our life that are not inherently sinful, but if they are imbalanced in our life, may be things that actually hinder us to run the Christian life. Take a moment and even think about what something like that might be for you. What's something that's not inherently sinful, but is something that maybe does not help you running the Christian life? But then the second stumbling block is, is he mentions the sin that we cling so closely. Notice that in verse 1. So he is talking about certainly sin as well, sin that, that we hold closely, that easily entangles us, other translations say. These are the things that, that want to knock us back in the race and keep us from moving forward. See, there were sins and allurements to the, in the first century to these Hebrew Christians, and those things were distracting these believers from pressing on. They were maybe causing them to actually grow weary and not looking at Jesus and seeing and understanding Him for who He is to help them persevere through it. 
So these are two areas that we do want to consider for our lives. Let's first mention the idea, the area of sin. He clearly mentions sin as a, as a stumbling block. Let me ask you, what, what are the sins that easily entangle you, that are, that are so, you held so closely? What are the sins that hinder your spiritual growth the most? It's important for us to identify what those are. That's the point here he's highlighting. But this is a really important point to make. He's highlighting sin as something that can make us stumble in the race, that can even hold us back. But the point is to identify them and confess them and to receive God's grace in them so we can move forward in them. What this is not saying is identify the sins and wallow in the guilt and shame of them. Because I recall that Romans 8 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We very easily take the sins, especially the ones that so easily entangle us, which usually means the ones that happen often, maybe over and over again, we see them in our life. And we're tempted to think, that we've just confessed that sin too often and there's no more grace for that. And we wallow in the guilt and the shame of sin. But if I recall what we just sang a few moments ago is it's the sin that's not in part, but, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Identify your sins. Confess them before the Lord. It reminds us of why we need Jesus. But the point is to not wallow in them, but to actually confess them, receive God's grace, and then press on in the race. But then he also mentions that every weight, and then and sin, so that every weight, again, must be something else that might not be inherently sinful, but could become a hindrance in, in, our, in our walk with Jesus in running this particular race. Let me mention a few things that I think might fall into this category. They're at least all things that I personally can relate to. Favorite sports teams. Twitter and Facebook. Netflix. A hobby that we enjoy. I want you to know all those things are in my life in one way or another. I love watching sports, love sports. I was born and raised in Indiana. I am a radical Indianapolis Colts fan. So now you know how to pray for me. We're not doing so well at this moment. But you will be glad to know I am a Kentucky fan. Can't believe I didn't get a rousing amen out of that. I'm in the heart of Kentucky, right? And you can thank my wife for that, by the way, because I was born and raised in Indiana, but I married into radical Kentucky family, And I like to be married, so I root for Kentucky now. (laughs) We can take that a little too far, can't we? Maybe something that distracts us from running the race. I remember pastoring a friend of mine, and we were able to have really open, honest conversations, and he was just a sports encyclopedia for his teams and things. And I remember the hard conversation we had that I often found him quoting his sports team statistics more than Scripture. And we actually had an interesting, good conversation about how we spend our time and what we fill our minds with. That's not inherently bad to have that and enjoy that. I love it. 
Same for social media. Netflix, hobbies that we have. Those can all be really good, enjoyable things in our life, and they are. But we have to be aware of the imbalances that come into our lives. Can we agree that those things are not inherently sinful, but they very easily can get out of balance and actually hinder us in the race of the Christian life? We have to be mindful of how those show up in our lives. Here's a good question to ask for your own life as you consider maybe what some of these things are. Is, is our affection to these things, are they helping us run the race or are they hindering us from running this race? So let, aside, let us lay aside stumbling blocks. That's the first way the writer tells us to persevere. The second one, number two, let us run the race. We notice the Christian life is described as a race here. We see that in verse 1. Let's look back at the passage. After he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So there's three things about this race he mentions. He says, let us run the race. And the first one is, we have to know the race is set before us. That's in verse 1. Look back and notice that with me. It's set before us. Our lives are the race. It has a beginning when we turn to follow Christ. It has an end when we leave this world and go to be with Jesus forever. Then we have that pesky part in the middle where we actually have to run the race that's set before us. And that's the more challenging part, isn't it? My friend Al and I found that when we were running, running this race. There's parts that's good. You feel like you, nothing, nobody can stop you. You're like, I'm going to run the whole thing really easily. And then all of a sudden it gets hard. And it gets dark and difficult. Your body starts to hurt. And you start questioning whether you're going to be able to finish the race or not. And by the way, let's not forget race, this race that the Christian life is, that the writer's talking about, is supposed to be run with others. As I mentioned before, I'm not sure I would have finished the race had I not had a friend there to help spur me on in the race. Who, by the way, who comes to your mind when I say that? Who do you run the race of the Christian life with? Did you notice, I want you to look back at the text, all these three imperatives that we're going to look at start with let us. The Christian life is not to be lived alone. The Christian life, the race of the Christian life is not to be run by ourselves. It's designed to be done with others. That's why this group and meeting every Sunday is one of the many reasons why this is so important in what we've done. Because we don't run this race by ourselves. Who is it for you? If you're taking notes, I'd even encourage you to write a name down in your notes. Who's running this race with you? Who's the person running the race with you that you would say, man, I don't know how I'd be doing in this race if this person wasn't running the race with me. And I want to encourage you to to look to them. It's okay to look to one another for this support. I would encourage you to tell them. Go find them today, maybe after church if they're here. I just want you to know, I wrote your name down. I can't, I'm not sure I could do this without you. Thank you. Thank you for the way you've loved and cared for me through this race. Look to them, tell them, and then then lean on them. So many of us don't want to be an imposition to others, but this is supposed to be an imposition to each other. 
We're supposed to run it together and to support one another. Here's the second part of this race. He says, run with endurance. Look at verse 1. It says to run this race with endurance. And a wonderful truth about running is that the more you do it, the better you get and hopefully the easier it becomes. That's building endurance as you do it. Did you know that the best way to build endurance in anything, especially something like this, where it's physical in your body, is, is to do it. The more you do it, the more your body develops an endurance for it. Have you ever thought about how do you then get endurance in the Christian life? Maybe, have you ever thought we build endurance simply by just living the Christian life? I was a pastor for 25 years. The amount of people who said to me at one point, in their darkest and most discouraged moments, where they would articulate in some way, I feel like I'm going backwards. Like, I'm not standing still. I'm not just moving forward a little bit. I actually feel like I'm going backwards. I'm struggling so much, and I'm so discouraged. But you know what I watched, especially as their pastor for, for all those years, so often when the darkness lifted, that they start running the race even better than they did before. What was happening? Well, they were building endurance through the dark time, and they just didn't know it. What if God in His kindness builds the endurance for us to run the Christian life by simply just living the Christian life? The best way we build endurance is to run the best you can sometimes. And if you can't run, what do you do? Well, you walk. Yeah, but what if I can't walk? You crawl. And I'm here to tell you, did you know it's okay to crawl in the Christian life? Some of you are like, no, no, I can't crawl. That's embarrassing. And no, that's not what I'm supposed to I'm supposed to be thriving all the time. No, no, here at first here, it's okay to crawl in the Christian life. Because sometimes that's all we can do. But you know what happens when you crawl? A two-year-old teaches us this. You still move forward when you crawl. The goal is to keep going, keep persevering in the Christian life. And it's okay to crawl. Here's the third part. He says, to run the race, we have to look to Jesus. See that in part of verse 2. Run the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So as we run this race, we are to look to Jesus. There's no better encouragement for discouraged and weary Christians that applies, by the way, in all situations and all circumstances than what we see here at the beginning of verse 2. How do we run the race through the obstacles and the difficulty? We look to Jesus. What is it about Jesus we're to look? Verse 2 tells us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why look, why fix our eyes on Jesus? Because of his perfect life, his atoning death, his glorious resurrection, and his eternal reign. We know the prize that we're running to receive is already won. It was actually purchased. It was purchased by his own blood. Can you imagine what it, was, what it would be like to run a race, and you're running the race, 
and you realize it doesn't matter where you finish in line, it doesn't matter how fast you go, you get to the end and there's somebody already holding the trophy for you to give it to you because you win the race. The prize is already ours. The only requirement to receive the prize is to finish. And to finish well. To finish as well as we can. And the same is true for the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, we do not have to finish in a certain place in the Christian life of this race. We don't have to finish at a certain time. As I told you, I did not care at all what my time was when I finished or what my place was when I finished that race. It felt really good to just finish. And that's the same with the Christian life. We don't have to finish at a certain point. We just have to finish. And that is the prerequisite that that the writer of Hebrews does continue to point to throughout this letter. You'll receive this prize if you hold fast. Because see, there were some that were tempted to not hold fast, to reject Jesus outright and go back to their old way of life. He says, run the race and finish well. Here's the third way we persevere in our faith when it's weary. Let us consider Jesus. Let us consider Jesus. How often, friends, do we consider and dwell on our struggles and our circumstances and the uncertainties of our life instead of considering Jesus, fixing our eyes on Him, looking to Him and what He has accomplished on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews tells us we we need to consider two aspects of Jesus, His person and His work, that will be all we need to look to Him, to fix our eyes on Him, to persevere in our faith, and to not grow weary in our faith. Two things. Here's the first one. He says, consider His joyful suffering. Consider His joyful suffering. Look at verse 3 when we see this. It says, consider Him, talking about Jesus, who endured, such host- or who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself. And his suffering also should take us back to verse 2. Look there with me. Where it says, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That points to his suffering as well. What is it talking about here? It's talking about Jesus who was a perfect man, who was without sin. He never wronged anyone. He never hurt anyone. He never sinned against anyone. He endured all the pain, all the suffering, and all the shame that is, accompanies dying with, by crucifixion, which is how Jesus died, as we know here. So we need to realize when Jesus suffered, it wasn't just a brutal execution, it was. It was also a, a public humiliation. It was a display of the cruel treatment of his executioners. That's what the writer's pointing to when he describes Jesus' suffering here. He endured such hostility. And as bad as that is, you realize that's not even the worst part. When this suffering is described, we also have to add to that the full righteous wrath of God that was placed upon Jesus in that suffering for us. For our sins that we committed, 
He bore the wrath of God for us in that moment. And it was poured out on Him. How could God send His Son to endure this suffering that's described here? And how could Jesus joyfully die in this way? Because those of us who would place our faith and our trust in Him, who would follow Him and follow Him to the end, would not have to endure God's eternal wrath on our sins. He died in our place. But this is what was required. So you can imagine, as the writer of Hebrews is appealing to these Hebrew Christians who are tempted to think, is there another way? I'll just go back to the old sacrificial system that we had. That worked so well. Or I'll I'll just go back to the law of Moses. And I'll just try to follow that the best we can. That's how the wrath of the God is going to be satisfied on my sin. And the writer is trying to get their attention and hopefully ours in this moment to say, consider Him. Consider Him and the suffering that He endured. From sinners and because of sinners like us. He says, look to Him and remember that. Consider Him and remember that. Now He calls them to suffer. Because that's what was happening. He's now calling them to suffer. They were suffering persecution probably by other Jews and others who were against them for following Jesus. They have to look to Jesus and and His example to persevere joyfully through those sufferings. But here's the second thing they're to consider, and that's to consider his eternal reign. Down at verse 3. After Jesus endured the suffering, the shame of the cross, verse 2, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's verse 2, into verse 2. So Jesus joyfully endured the suffering for us, Because he knew the victory that would come. He knew what he was going to accomplish when his father called him to go and die. And that would be to purchase for us eternal forgiveness and salvation through him. The wrath of God is completely satisfied through him. There is not a better way, the writer is saying to the the Hebrews. You can almost... Feel the tone of, are you insane to think to go back to the law of all places? To the old sacrificial system. Because it might mean life's a little easier here. That's not the bigger issue. The wrath of God is satisfied. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And there is an eternal salvation waiting for all those in Christ. Because Jesus reigns. That sat down at the right hand of the throne of God is referring to a finished work and His reign at the right hand of God. Which also brings another important implication about this race that we're in the middle of running, knowing that Jesus is sitting on the throne right now, ruling. So if He finished this work, there's no longer a need for a sacrifice of sins for those of us who are in Christ. And He rules. 
It's a finished work and he rules. That's what sitting down is pointing to. There's a massive implication for this race we're in. You know what it is? Jesus rules over the race. And he rules over the race track. Your path of your race, whatever it is, he rules over that too. And I hope that encourages you to some degree. For those sitting here having no idea why I have gone through what I've gone through, why I am on the path that I'm on. You don't have the answer to that many times, especially when we're in it. But one thing you can know for sure, based on that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and is ruling over all things, he rules over your race, and he rules over your race track. So he is the one for us to go to, to help us to finish that race. And what's the result of all this? We see at the end of verse 3, would you look there with me? The result is, we will not grow weary and faint-hearted. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. The writer is appealing to these receiving this letter trying to address their weary faith because of life and circumstances and the suffering that has come to them. But he says this is the solution. This is how we press on in our race when our faith grows weary. Consider him, verse 3, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the answer to a discouraged and weary faith. For those he's writing to, and brothers and sisters, for everyone in this room who follows Christ, it's the answer for us too. So have you come here discouraged? Have you come here weary? Have you come here questioning, why is this happening to me? I do not understand the path that God has me on. Maybe even you're at a point where you're wondering if you can even make it another day. Regardless what the struggle is. That's what's so beautiful about this passage and this exhortation. It's written to weary Christians. Suffering so much they're tempted to ask, is this even worth it? And that would be for each one of us too. That you may be enduring suffering or so weary you're thinking there's nothing I can do about it. Here's the answer. Regardless of your struggle, consider Jesus. Consider Him. Look to Him. Fix your eyes on Him. Consider who He is and what He has accomplished for us. And that the prize for the race has already been won. We simply need to finish the race. And sometimes we'll run, and sometimes we'll walk. And sometimes we'll crawl. And sometimes we might have somebody dragging us. That's the point of doing it together. But keep moving forward. 
Keep moving forward in the race. Fix your eyes on Him, not your circumstances. And we are told here that we will find endurance to run the race. We're told we'll finish. And He's already won the prize for us. We just have to finish. But if He's provided all this for us, will He not hold us fast? The older I get, the longer I walk with Jesus, there's a really precious truth that God has has been showing me more and more. The longer I follow Jesus, the older I get, I realize that I'm not hanging on to Him as much as He's hanging on to me. Is He not the anchor that we sang about a moment ago? And when it gets darker and darker, the the anchor just goes deeper. He will not forsake us. And if that truth has gotten clear to me the older I get, I'm hoping it continues to be that. So if I'm able to live many years and live to be an old man, I would love in that moment to see how much Jesus truly just hung on to me and you. Because he is. My final word to you this morning is to make sure you realize that this race is to not be run alone. Go to your pastors and say, I feel like I'm running alone. I need somebody to run with me. They will want to know that, and I know that they will want to do what they can to help you figure out how to run this race with somebody. Because the design is. Look down at the text one more time for me. Those three exhortations, look and, and just notice it in the passage. Therefore, it says, we are surrounded. Let us do this. Let, let us do that. Let the race set before us. There is a corporate appeal throughout this whole letter to remind us the Christian life is not to be run alone. Make sure you're running with others and make sure you're telling them, I need you to run with me. And say, thank you for running with me. And encourage them in that. So let me take a moment and pray for each of you as you persevere in that race. Let's pray together. Father, we we praise you for Jesus. Who calls us to run this race with, with each other. Hanging on to him. But Lord, we know intuitively you you hang on to us too. So Lord, remind us that you're with us. You're for us. You love us in the midst of this race and you will help us to persevere. You will build the endurance in us to continue this race. And Lord, we ask that you would hold us fast and help us to persevere through the weariness through the difficulty and the suffering. And Lord, help us to finish this race well, arm in arm with others, and receive the prize that Jesus has fully purchased for us with his own blood. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.